Welcome to the Rising Warrior Podcast. We are here to provide a holistic approach to the betterment of warriors, helping warriors bridge the gap in their healing journey, find themselves, find who they truly are, and provide tools to help themselves and in turn help others. We are here to break the mold and discuss what it takes to thrive in life. So, let's rise above together. Today we are talking with John Sargent, who is part of our Ayahuasca series. This is a powerful one. John talks about his experience in and out of the military and where he thinks that his trauma came from. He tells a great story about what led him to experience ayahuasca and his mind-blowing experience which led to the end of his alcoholism. This is an episode that you will want to listen to multiple times. I know I have. So if you find any of this episode entertaining, interesting, or valuable, please share so that this information can get into the hands of those who need it. Thank you, and enjoy the show. John, thanks for being on the podcast. Uh, you are our first podcast victim um, for <laughs> veterans and the wonderful uh, ayahuasca. So we're going to start off with, like, what was your, what did you do in the military? Let's just start with that. What did you do in the military, and how was it? Sure. Yeah. Uh, I was a 7372, which is a KC-130 navigator. Um, it was actually a great, great time. Um, uh, we were enlisted. The Marine Corps is, you know, very cheap. So we're, we're the only branch that has enlisted navigators. So uh, got, okay. to, got to sit up front with the pilots and just kind of push buttons and steer the aircraft when it was on a pilot. But uh, no, it was, it was a wonderful time. I did five years. A good portion of that was in training. And then uh, right when I got to the fleet, pretty much went right into Iraq, um, supported uh, a couple deployments there, um, you know, hauling trash, giving gas, and uh, ended up getting out in 06. Okay. Yeah, hauling trash. Um, my dad was in the military, and he always adamantly talked about the C-130 as the trash hauler. So when you say that, I'm like, oh yeah, that makes sense. Um, so you got out in 06, you said. Yep. Um, I love asking individuals about their transition process into the civilian world um, because most of it, from what I've gathered, was, lack of a better term, just a shit show. Here's a piece of paper. See ya. So what was your process? How what was it like for you transitioning into the civilian world? Yeah, you know, I, I did the TAPS course um uh which was like our, our version of like how you separated it's like a week of exit okay. stuff you know they teach you how to write a resume um dude i was like a 24 year old kid getting out like i'd already lined up a job i got a job with union pacific i was going to be a conductor on the railroad oh sweet yeah so i did that for two years after i got out but i, I took one day of terminal leave and then went right into that so i, I had no days off really uh my transition was Marine Corps, right into the railroad. Wow. Uh, what was that? What was that period like? Like in that, in those first two years, it tends to be in our experience where people have the, I mean, myself included, the toughest time are in those first two to three years where you're like, did I land in the right place? Am I going where I want to be going? Et cetera, et cetera. What What was your experience then? 
you know, like looking at that now and taking that perspective, like I, I never thought of that then. It was just mm-hmm. the next logical thing for me to do. Uh, I was married. My wife was pregnant when I was getting out. I had Harley January, uh, you know, about six months after I got out. Um, so like, and, and really like, you know, I was, I was a 20 year old kid navigating airplanes around the world. Like I, I was like an adult. I just kind of transitioned right through and just stayed an adult all the way through, you know, mm. went to work and then just kept working. Mm. So no like period of exploration, seeing what's out there. None of that. You know, I, I had a little bit of that early in my Marine Corps career, you know, the once really started like traveling abroad, basically had the keys to our own airplane and did a lot of training where we, you know, fly to great places yeah. and then we would deploy to not great places. But no, I had a lot of fun then, drank way too much, really don't remember a ton of it now, but uh, <laughs> yep. So, there's subtle reminders occasionally, but yeah. And it was so long ago. How old are you now? I uh, just turned 40. Okay. So that was a good Lord. Yeah. And you That's got out of two thoughts. Yeah. 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 Look, looking now, I mean, I've got buddies who are, are woe force and, you know, retired master guns. Hmm. Like, oh, now, like, I would have retired this year. Wow. Yeah. You know, damn. Um, so I like asking individuals, you know, once they transition, it sounds like you had a decent transition in the civilian world. Um, I use the term PTSD. I hate the term, but it's, it's ubiquitous. Everybody knows it. Um, did you ever come I imagine you, you would, or we probably wouldn't be talking to you about this. Did you ever come across stuff like that? Did you ever come across PTSD in yourself? You know, early on, no, like my, my Marine Corps career was, you know, I did a bunch of deployments, did some really cool missions, um, never squeezed a trigger, never did any of that, but like, you know, gave gas to F-18s that had, were, were full of bombs when they came to me and they came back to me on fumes with not a single thing on them, mm-hmm. you know, like watch, watch the flashes in the distance and, and never really experienced trauma that way. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, it was always kind of from a support aspect. Uh, but I think where like my fuse popped was when I became a contractor. Uh, mm. 2008, I actually became a defense contractor and uh, flew drones for a oh shit number of years, seven, seven or so years, uh, actually attached to, you know, in, in many, many cases, teams, ODAs, ODBs, uh, you know, was their sole aerial asset. Uh, so that's where things got a little hairy for me. Um, still never squeezed the trigger, but, um, you know, got reined in on mortars constantly. Um, that was a defining experience. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, had, had several instances where bullets whizzed by us when we were out of the pad, uh, you know, somebody taking direct shots at us and, you know, that, that, you know, again, I, I say pop the fuse, you know, it's funny in the time you're like, Ooh, we're getting shot at no big deal. But then, you know, you get that cold sweat that comes over you. Uh, and like you're with guys that are just super badass, you know, women want men want to be like, you can't be, you can't act like you're scared in that instance. So, but, uh, so I think that's where, where things got a little funky for me. And then, you know, we were 
know, killing remotely. There's a book out now that's actually pretty spectacular on that. Like mm. typically you're disconnected from it, but you're, you're watching, you know, you find these guys digging holes in the middle of intersections at night and then you're the, the eyes on as, you know, they drop in on them and then you do BDA afterwards. And it's very separated from mm-hmm. the environment. Like you may have felt the concussion from when he blew up just a click yeah. away, but like, you're not there, you know, you're watching it on a screen. And if you hadn't found him, you know, that guy wouldn't be dead. Wow. Um, one thing we come across is we always hear the number about 22 veteran suicides a day. The number's growing, but we stick with that number. Uh-huh. And if we look at the population of the military, um, only like one or 3% of the population are in a combat role. And it's even less now because we don't, we're not in that combat position. Mm-hmm. And the number of suicide, the number of depression, number of PTSD keeps growing. So it has nothing to do with the combat role. Um, we believe that it's the, the military is the pressure cooker that flips the lid. Um, yeah, for a lot of people. Yeah. Most of us. Yeah. Um, and and I, I found over the years of working with veterans that um, much of the quote unquote trauma actually happens before they even join the military. And then the military was the pressure cooker that blew the lid and broke everything loose. Um, yeah, talking to, Lance, to, to add to that before you keep going, um, yeah. one of the things that have been present to me too is there's different, we may all wear the uniform and, and you know, raise our hands and, and joined. Uh, and there's a spectrum like, Mm-hmm. Some people had really bad childhoods and they go to the military, they get, you know, a really great opportunity to like get out of their environment and you're given an identity, you're given all these things, do this, do that, Gunny's yelling at you. Um, that is in its, in it, on its own, a pressure cooker of, of that can become traumatic over the long term. Um, and, and then there's the experience you were talking about, right? There's a, a unmanned aerial systems operator who's a contractor, you know, you, obviously you're not in the military at the time, but working with military guys. So your experience is very unique in the sense that now you're, you're challenged with living with that experience of not act and, and not being fully vi- like face to face with whoever it was that you were uh, targeting at the time with the team. And then we've got your special forces guys who are like, you know, 10 combat deployments back to back intense guys. So, there's a huge spectrum and we want to, you know, I, I always bring that up because we want to honor that uh, just because you didn't go on a combat deployment doesn't mean you, you, you right. sh- shouldn't look for healing. Um, it's available and, and you're a human being who that's, that's why we're here. Like you, that's why we're doing what we're doing. So we connect people with these, with these resources. Back um, to you, Lance. <laughs> no, that was, that was perfect. Thank you, JP. Um, yeah. One of the things that are, infuriates me the most is when oh yeah i never saw combat i don't give a fuck i really do not give a fuck if you didn't see combat again the statistic speaks for itself so i don't care if you saw combat or you didn't um like the resources out there and you need help you need healing um for me one of the things you were talking about getting shot at and getting blown up like the one of the things that i remember is um when we were in afghanistan i was in a fob fob salerno and it was nicknamed rocket city we got rocketed all the time um 
for me, once I got back to the States, hearing car alarms or sirens reminded me of the rockets. And I'd hear it and I'd just like sink down in my stomach and be like, oh, fuck, here it goes again. Um, and that had it, that took some relearning and everything. So completely, completely understand where you're coming from, man. And you're completely helpless. What do you do when they're raining down on you from above you? Hide in a bunker. How many times? How many times does it take for you to give zero fucks about the siren going off anymore? Oh, it was like the third time. I was like, we were we were intense, and they wanted us to go in these cement bunkers. I was like, the f- the cement bunkers aren't going to do anything. I'm just going to be uncomfortable sitting in urine because everybody would go take a piss in the middle of the night there. Like, but we had to because well, we had to. Um, <laughs> um, yeah, it was, it was a fun time. And it's, it's funny because like you said, you know, you kind of laugh it off. I remember we would sit in those bunkers in the middle of the night singing songs. Um, we, uh, one, I remember specifically was we sang the, um, intro to fresh Prince of Bel-Air. <laughs> because what else are you going to do when you're getting bombed? Thank oh, you, Will Smith. <laughs> um, yeah, I don't remember what I was going to follow up with that. But I completely agree, and I can, I can, I understand exactly where you're coming from. Um, so, f- for me, I'll speak personally for myself. It, it took me about five to seven years once I got out of the military to realize that hmm, maybe there is a few screws loose, or maybe there is something I need help. Um, and I noticed that a lot with veterans. It's, it takes them a few years to realize that, hey, there's something going on. I'm not where I want to be. There's something that needs to be fixed. Um, if you don't mind talking about that, John, what, what was it for you? Yeah, yeah. Um, I'll, I'll share for sure. Um, share as much as you feel comfortable. No, no, this is, this is all part of it, really. Um, you know, I... I fell really into the downward spiral uh, of alcoholism. Um, I'm a self-diagnosed alcoholic. I, I never went to a meeting. I never was called that by a doctor, but it, it, I, I am an alcoholic. Like I pretty much the first thing I ever thought of when I woke up probably the past decade is like, when can I get to a point today where I can have my first drink? Um, you know, it wasn't to roll over and, and, you know, hug my wife or even acknowledge her. It was like, that was my focus. And I was completely functional. Like I was very good at work. Um, I could, I could work all day and drink all night and wake up and repeat. Um, I did all kinds of stupid shit uh, as far as drinking and driving. Um, I, I have very little filter anyway, but I was always the guy that would, I, I was never mean when I was drinking, but I, I like to always have a good time and, uh, you know, I'll fucking, I'll say it. And that tend to, to ruin, you know, a lot of environments and a lot of moods and a lot of parties, uh, and embarrass my family. Um, but you know, it was like, that's how I was raised in the Marine Corps. Like, you know, if you can't do your job drunk, you can't do your job. Like that was kind of the mentality that we grew up with. And, you know, I'm not blaming them. Like alcoholism runs in my family. My dad was, he's been sober for 20 years now, but you know, it's, it was all, it's all on me. Like I, I was ultimately responsible for it. Um, I made uh, a 
very poor judgment call and was unfaithful to my wife and ultimately led to leaving her and my daughter for another woman and like just this alcohol rage downward spiral um you know meanwhile i was still like this professional consultant i was traveling i was very successful uh but uh, internally i was a fucking train wreck mm-hmm. um and it took a, a really good friend of mine to kind of pull me out of it like he he did it without me even knowing it just like proved to be like this landing pad for me to share and like look up to him and and like basically he became like my mentor and my coach and like he is what like a wonderful human being is like that's that's what i want to be so like i i slowly started to try to emulate him Hmm. and uh you know, through that process, uh, I still continued to drink, and I somehow I got my family back. My wife and I got back together. My daughter, you know, came back to me, and, and we're we're still working on our relationship. My daughter and I, my wife and I are, are really very good, but my daughter is still, um, you know, having you know occasionally a hard time based on some of the things I've done. Um, so, but. Through that process, um, you know, I, I still continued to drink. And I always said, you know, like, oh, I'll, I'll just drink less. Like, everything will be fine. I, I'll just drink a little bit less. And that, that never really happened. I was still drinking a six-pack or a nine-pack of Miller Lights a night, you know, like a 12-pack whiskey, booze, whatever. I, I drank everything. And... Um, It, it finally came to a head again. Like I have my family back. I've got a beautiful home. I have this this great life, and I was just fucking it away again by drinking. Like I was. Like our evenings weren't fun anymore. Like I would just sit and drink, and watch TV with them, or I wouldn't even sit with them. I would go outside and I would sort of fire and I'd sit by myself and drink. Hmm. Man, like no good reason. I wouldn't like be mad or wouldn't be stressed or anything. It was just like, that was like what I did. And, uh, finally the, my, my friend and mentor, um, he's another Marine as well. Um, he was connected to the medicine and, uh, he wound up, you know, going through the whole coaching thing through heroic hearts and going and doing it and coming back. And he's already like this wonderful, amazing human being. And he came back fucking better. Like, how the fuck is that even possible? <laughs> just like, how does Jesus get better? Yeah, like, and I, I was just blown away. I was like, how, like, teach me how I can go on this journey too. Mm. And mm. I didn't know how. I didn't you know. I did a little bit of research on it, mm-hmm. and you know, through him. And, and, you know, how he coached me into getting into heroic hearts and working with Jesse and, and those guys. And it, it happened. And, and something that, that he taught me and, and I've learned and I've heard multiple people say it is like, you can't rush it. You can't fight to go take the medicine. Mm-hmm. Like the medicine has to find you when you're ready for it. Like you can't 
can't selfishly say like, I need the medicine. I need to go take it. I, I want to go take it. I want to run off to the jungle and, I mean, you know, take a psychedelic and it's going to be great. Like it has to, like everything has to line up and it has to be the right reason. You can't. Um, and that happened here. It, it just all kind of lined up perfectly. I didn't, didn't have to like fight or chase or anything, everything, every piece just fell right in. And, and I was able to go basically on the next, next trip, which was about six weeks after, after I was accepted into the program. So, uh, yeah, like we'd spent, had a, had a coaching call, um, Earl Cart set me up with a, a wonderful coach guy who had done the medicine multiple times, uh, had helped a ton of veterans that had, had gone on the same journey, just kind of helped me get my head right, understand what I can expect, what I needed to do to get ready for my diet, how to mentally prepare, how to breathe. And, you know, it was a, it was a, like, I don't want to say stressful process, but it, like you have to prep your body for what you're about to go do. And, and they did a wonderful job helping. Mm. Uh, thank you for sharing. Like you straight up opened up. So very appreciative <laughs> of that. Yeah. Thank you. Um, I'm curious if you've had any other type of treatment, therapy, counseling previous to doing ayahuasca. Nope. nope. No, my wife, um, she, uh, she asked me to for probably about a year or two before we separated. She saw me, you know, pretty much spiraling out of control, but I was, I don't need that. You know, like I had that mentality, like that's for, that's not for me. That's for other people. Like I, I took that as like kind of a sign of weakness. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah. I wanted no part of it at the time. So, yeah. So you did absolutely nothing before that and you just jumped on this ayahuasca thing. It's pretty ballsy, dude. Yeah. I'm just going to say that that's a pretty big leap. <laughs> I'm just going to throw it out there. I mean, I, I appreciate it. Yes. I honor it. Yes. And that's, that's, that's ballsy. It's powerful. I appreciate that. Uh, so part of it, I mean, was, I don't want to say ignorance, but it was part of the coaching. Um, I, I did, like I said, I didn't do a ton of research. I did a little bit of research to try to understand what the chemical was going to do to my body. But what, like one thing my coach steered me towards, like, don't listen to other people's stories. Mm -hmm. um, it's like, it'll set you on a false expectation of what you're going to go through. Like nobody has the same experience. So like right. every time you, you explain your story, make sure that you say like, this was my story. This was my journey. Mm -hmm. You know, it, it, this was only mine, like yours will be drastically different. Mm. It might be a wonderful experience. It may be really, really terrible and really difficult to get through. So I, I like, I took that as like, I'm not going to fuck this away. Like I want to embrace the process and, and just basically get there. And, and I had no idea it was like a, a nuclear bomb going off. Like I <laughs> thought it was, I didn't think it was that until I, I sat down with one of the the other guys who came, you know, there, there were 17 veterans that we all went together and he was, we were the first two in country and we went and we had lunch at the, the hotel we were staying at. Mm -hmm. And he asked me if I'd ever done anything or done any, you know, any form of drugs. And, you know, I 
smoked pot once or twice, like a handful of times, never, you know, drinking was my thing. I was like, no, I've never, never done any mushrooms, no psychedelic. He's like, holy shit, man. Like, this is like, yeah. <laughs> you know, I was like, oh, cool. <laughs> He's already <laughs> in country. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so, like, that was, that was my, like, when I, my aha moment when I realized, like, it was about to go off. Yeah, that was down in Costa Rica mm-hmm. at Soltara Healing Center. I think that's yep. the name of it. Yeah, okay, great. Awesome, man. It's, that's amazing. Yeah. <laughs> I, I will say this about I, I want to add to to that. Um, one of the things that I've noticed, even with my own vet, veteran friends, is that I'll I'll ask to sh- to share like something emotional or about their partner or how they're feeling or like anything having to do with with like uh, you know struggles challenges they've been having, and they're like eh, they're not as as excited about that p- part. But if I start talking about this like epic journey of ayahuasca or something like that, a lot more of them will start peeking up. They'll be like, huh, what's that about? And I've had a couple of people ask me like, you know, because I now, I now have some friends in that in that world that I can at least connect them to. Um, and they're more excited about asking me about that than they are about like the stuff that, that me and Lance are always talking about. And I'm like, man, I, I, I respect it. Like, you know, you're you're there's a huge leap into the deep end when you do, uh, uh, I would say, you know, a big psychedelic journey of any kind. Um, and it's best, like you said, not to have all these stories, not to mm-hmm. be told what it's going to be like and allowed simply to have the tools to deal with whatever comes up for you, um, during that experience. And, uh, it's something that I'm really I'm constantly amazed that a lot of veterans have that, like, I talk about the hero's journey and, and Joseph Campbell all, all the time. And one of the things that it reminds me of is like before you went to boot camp or before you went to whatever training you went to, to the first time, you're just a dumb kid who doesn't know shit. And, and you're like, I guess they're going to shave my head and I'm going to war. Like you have no idea what you're about to embark on. And so many of us are still going to do it. Um, knowing that that's possibly what could happen, right? Iraq, Afghanistan, whatever at the time. So I'm always, um, I always remind myself and others that 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 still exists within in the hearts of all these men and women who signed up to go to the military, and that can translate into things like what you did, like this huge like leap, where you're like, all right, man, I've I've been fucking up. <laughs> this is not working. Whatever I'm doing, not, I'm is not working. What they're doing is working. I'm fucking doing it. Uh, so kudos to you, honestly, seriously, it's a huge huge leap and. Uh, um, when you went to the actual experience, what, what was that like? I know we talked a little bit, what, what led you there? What was the experience like? G- give us like a, if you can, like a, what was the actual like physical experience like, you know, where you were being with all those veterans, heroic hearts and what they did for you. And then the, any kind of insight that you gained from the experience? Like what, what did you learn? What did it open up for you? Uh, as, detailed as you as you like yeah so like part of the the coaching process up leading up to us all leaving is we we all kind of had this this zoom meeting i think we met every every week or every other week where everybody that was going down we we all kind of got on and 
got to see each other and learn where we were coming from, what our backgrounds were. A lot of it was shooting the shit, just, you know, just having fun um, and telling stories. Um, so we all kind of had, you know, a couple of guys knew each other from, from being in the military or, or being contractors together. Um, and I was kind of a late ad, so I, I came in a little bit late, so I, I really didn't have the background on, on everybody. Uh, you know, I was taking notes frantically in, in the, our sessions, trying to understand who was who and what branch and what they, you know, what their experiences were. And like, you know, we, we show up down there and the, the process was actually super simple. I mean, you they, everything is shuttled and catered for you. They give you a hotel to arrive at, you're there, super nice people come, you got really nice vans, you got internet on your two hour journey. And then that's where you're like in a van with, you know, nine guys and, you know, eight guys in the other van and start to get to know each other. So uh, I'll say again, you know, I'm not, I'm not down talking to myself here. Like, but I was like the one aviator of the group. Like the rest of these dudes, again, were like women want, men want to be. I was the only asshole without abs. Right, like all these dudes are like <laughs> handsome, <laughs> like, shredded. <laughs> every, yeah, I'm like, oh, cool. You got abs too, sweet. <laughs> you know, like, so, so, but no, they're, they're normal people, super cool, chill, accepting, and and everybody is there. You, know, you could tell everybody was there with a purpose, had intention, and and wanted to be there. They weren't forced to be there, and it was just. Like it was, everybody felt each other out a little bit, you know, and was talking shit like we always do with each other. But it was, it was still like a warm and welcoming, fun environment from you know the people going there. And then the facilitators at the at Soltara were incredible, um, hmm. just warm, welcoming, kind. Uh, yeah, it felt super safe and super mm. it's huge yeah mm -hmm. i can't it's um i i've never done a, a an ayahuasca experience i've just had a big mushroom experience um and uh one of the things that is a word that a lot of men definitely veterans um as a culture as a community safety is seen as a weakness it's like oh you're safety why are you worried about safety like be a fucking man, like get, get your balls up, like get, let's get it done. And I, it, it's one of the challenges that I have in, in expressing to people that um, you can be brave and you can stand in the, in the middle of a firefight and in the moment when you need support, when you need healing, when you need other people to help you see how you can heal, you actually need a ton of safety. You need to feel that like, it's like being with a, a really tight, uh, tight knit team that you're connected to. And whether it's in the military or sports or whatever it is like, Oh, I, these guys get me. I understand. I'm understood here and I'm capable of being to a degree vulnerable enough to go through that journey with them. Um, so I, I wanted to highlight that, uh, it's part of what you said. Yeah. Yeah. You're, you're exactly right. Like it, not only is it important to feel safe with, you know, the environment you're in, because like, you, again, I didn't know like how 
how this experience was going to be, like what level of control I was going to have, um, you know, what what outside factors can come in and it, be an influence on me when I was, you know, after I'd taken it, I was really worried until like I got there and you realize how the staff, how attentive they are during the ceremonies. You, know, you have security personnel that are around the grounds to make sure that, you know, you know, no one comes on, no one goes out. It's not like authoritative or military or anything. It's like very helpful. Mm. Um, and like being in that, like it, I only spent about 30 seconds like assessing my environment. And before I realized like I don't need to do it anymore. And I just like oh. settled in and that was it. Hmm. One of the big things that um, when using these medicines, a lot of people will talk about is set and setting um having a safe environment like people often talk about quote unquote bad trips i'm like well where were you doing it oh i was doing it at a party where people are doing blow off hookers asses <laughs> and there were fights in the corner well damn right you had a bad trip like so i've heard a lot of good things about Seltara here in healing center and this just adds to it so it's beautiful to hear about that stuff um, yeah, one additional thing there too is, you know, like you don't get there and just like immediate, like introduced, get introduced to everybody. Like they spend a lot of quality time with you before the ceremonies and, and educate you on what you're about to experience, like kind of give mm -hmm. you like the, the, the breakdown of the medicine and how it's made, what the culture is, what the background is, and, and really help you understand what, what effects that you know, we, we know of that it has on the body mm -hmm. and how to kind of psychologically prepare for, for what you're, you're about to go through. So one, one, like you go through a vomitivo, which is like, you, you know, a lot, you have to teach your body how to vomit. Like really not a problem for most veterans. I mean, like that's a, that was a early on a daily or at least every weekend occurrence in body <laughs> grow up, whatever. But like here, you know, when, purging after you take the medicine is, is very common. Mm -hmm. So like you have to prepare yourself to, to let go. And so you actually have to go through a ceremony where they teach you to, to vomit. So you stand outside, uh, wheatgrass or lemongrass, I forget. And until you throw up and it's, you're literally in a line over a cliff. It goes, next guy goes. And you just, <laughs> Wow. Of course, everybody makes it a competition. Who could go further? Who could do it? <laughs> of, course, of course, of course, of course. Wow. Fucking so, really cool. so by the time you sat with the medicine, you've you've created a sense of community with with these other vets. You've like it's been it's been cush. Uh, you know, transportation, Wi-Fi. There's there's the there's a set setting of the safety of the actual environment. I imagine it's beautiful since you're in Costa Rica. Um, and then you have, you know, they're taking you through this entire series of steps to create that almost like a, they're creating a, a short, <clears throat> a short term relationship with you. This like tiny, like, let's have a relationship for a couple of days. They're bringing you in, they're doing all these different things. Um, so what is the feeling you have before you sit with the medicine? And what was that? uh experience like was it a day a few days what, what was a night day uh we we got there in the afternoon 
And we had the whole next day, like a, we could explore the grounds, go down to the beach. Uh, you know, in prep for this, I pulled out my journal that I took and I started looking through my notes and like, I couldn't sleep. I got up at five o'clock in the morning. I walked down to the beach and I watched the sunrise or like this gorgeous island off in the distance. And then like I basically retraced every footstep that day, leading all the way up to taking the medicine about seven o'clock that night. Um, wonderful food, world-class chef, great breakfast. Um, the accommodations, the, the rooms were very, very nice. Uh, big pool, everybody, you know, kind of came together. Some people were got very quiet beforehand and just kind of wanted to be alone and were kind of going through what their intentions were. Others hopped in the pool, got together and just told stories and bullshitted and Basically, up until the time we had to go down and, and start our uh, yoga and like pre meditation, and, and that was it. Mm. Mm. So, no, no, like nobody telling you had to be certain places. Like they, they suggested you come to certain things, like classes where they were educating, but never were forced or held to anything. Like you could just come and go as you please. But for the most part, we all, embraced it and went to what they asked us to so you didn't have to you could have just fucked off and just hung out on the beach and just kind of waited and sat with yourself yeah yeah so what was the first experience the first cup uh so the process is like everybody there there were 17 of us total and I went about three quarters of the way through. And that takes about, let's say probably 20 to 30 minutes before I got my, my turn. So this is the very first night, man, everybody was super, well, all three nights, everybody was pretty attentive. But you sit there and you respect the process. I mean, it's a full-on ceremony. Like the mm -hmm. logo is like this beautiful wooden, you know, structure where, where you're in, you've got a nice comfortable bed, pillows. Um, it's all screened in. There's no bugs. Uh, and they, they shut the lights out and they do all candlelight and people go up and they sit with the medicine. They sit with their intention and they take it. So some people took a minute and some people took five minutes and they asked the shaman to come help them with their intention as they took the medicine. So it, like the, the first night it took me probably 45 minutes, about 45 minutes after the first person took it. Okay. So, so there's a chance after the first person took it between the first person and the last person, the first person might've already started everything by the time the last person got yeah, to it. Yeah. Dash one's already blasting off when the last guy is. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, so what was your, first experience like if you don't mind sharing yeah um my first one it, it took me a while I, like mentally I, I got into this space where I think I got into an argument with myself trying to figure out whether I was under like the medicine was working or not mm -hmm. and and finally like you can you can ask for more like it's, it's actually a pretty common thing like your first night they're trying to get your dosing right you know they ask you have you ever taken the medicine before so they they try not to, you know, give you a ton if you you haven't. So 
since I hadn't, they gave me a, a, a very small amount. Um, and a couple other people had gotten up and asked for more. And uh, I did that. And probably about a half hour after my second dose, uh, it became very apparent that I, I didn't need to think or not whether I was, the medicine was working. It was, it was definitely working. It was working. Yeah. Uh, what? I want to, I want to back up. What was it like when you said to your wife, Hey, I want to go down to Costa Rica, drink some <laughs> weird vine juice and blast off. She said, I 100% support you. Please mm. do whatever you feel is going to help you and make you better. Wow. And wow. that was such a weight off my shoulder. That's mm -hmm. not yeah, I bet. Like I, I thought, she was like, she, you want to do what, you know, but uh, like she, um, you know, I had this elaborate plan in my mind of how I was going to ask her or tell her that I was going <laughs> to, and, and in true, like, green fashion, I like, I kind of thought it was going to have to lead up to a fight mm -hmm. in order to be like, what the fuck's wrong with you? And it's like, well, maybe I can go do this. Mm -hmm. you know? And it, it got up to a point where it could have almost turned into a fight. And then I was like, this is what I'm thinking. This is what my friends that, you know, coached me and, mm. and got me there. I was like, this is the path I would like to explore. And he has done it and it has done wonderful things. And there was no fight. There was nothing, just acceptance. And yes, please, let's, let's do it. So I like, oh, okay. Like then things became very, very easy. It, yeah. It's, it's interesting how when we have these stories that run around in our head of all the horrible things that can happen. Mm. And on the other side, there's infinite possibilities that everything can go exactly right. And unfortunately we've trained ourselves over and over again to just look at the negative possibilities. And this is very key and to exactly what you're saying um <laughs> yeah plus military training to just sort of brace for impact all the time yeah you're like oh, i'm gonna get fucked up something's gonna happen here Ugh, tight brace hooker <laughs> effect <laughs> level 10 yeah and an ayahuasca i imagine as with um a lot of healing modalities is um again another word that most veterans are, are <clears throat> have a challenge with is uh surrender um there is no journey into any kind of healing that doesn't require absolute surrender. Mm -hmm. If you really want to get to the other side of what's possible for you and um, changing, well, first changing our language around it, then changing our perception of what it means to surrender and what it means in our lives. Um, is is that something that you guys talked about before your your journey, or is it something that you experienced? You know, the, a lot of a lot of my coaching conversations re, re, revolved around that. And okay. Awesome. Um, you know, you, your ego is your own worst enemy, um, and and a lot of veterans have these big, huge, inflated egos, um, and that that's your 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 biggest roadblock. Um, is, is getting out of your own way with your ego. Um, you know, like early on, like two years before this, like my ego, it's like, 
my wife was asking if I would go to therapy. Fuck that. No, fuck no. Like my ego is telling me like, we don't need to change. Fuck that. But in this moment where I finally wanted to change and I wanted to be better and I wanted to, you know, be better to save my family and ultimately just be a better human being. Mm-hmm. Um, like I had to toss my ego out the window and surrender. And, and I went down there with an open mind and open heart and, and arms wide open to, to whatever the experience was going to bring me. If it was going to be super painful shit show, or if it was going to be unicorns and rainbows, uh, I didn't, I didn't have a preference. I just wanted the experience to, to help me come out on the other side better. Yeah, man. That's amazing. I, the word, <laughs> back to the hero's journey, I keep thinking, a hero's journey of surrender. Like, it, leading up to this point, you're talking about, like, what led you there, then meeting your mentor, uh, learning from him, being like, holy shit, he's done this thing, how do I do that thing? All the way up to the point where it, you're, you're, you're going back into those old patterns and you're seeing yourself getting back into this kind of disconnected, you know, thing that alcohol does to, to all of us. And then finding, realizing that you actually, it's important for you to take this journey that's about to come. And instead of in the way that we generally think of <clears throat> these heroes journeys of like, ah, oh, fight, I got to go into, it. I got to be, it's a different kind of courage. It's like a, it's mm-hmm. a, a subset of courage to be able to say, like you said about your ego, like, uh, whatever this guy, this guy, ego guy within me is doing is not working. It's not. So I got to go down there to let it go. And and I imagine that your experience with the medicine is a little bit gentler when you're already in that state of mind, state of being. Um, is that accurate? Was that accurate for you in your experience? Excuse me. Uh, gentler, no. Um, you know, the, the way that like I, I came to realize like it, this is a plant that is smarter than any of us are. And it, it gives you what you need, not what you want. Mm. Uh, you go in with an intention, like I want to work on this. I want help getting through this, or I want to be better at this. And it may not give you that. It may give you something drastically different, mm. but ultimately has some form of connection leading to your intention. Um, you know, after after I got back and, and going through my integration, there were several moments that I had was fuck was that about? And then realized like the, through the the chain of events where it led like all the way back to like my intention, like holy shit, like yeah, okay, I get it. You know, and it just took time to to get me there to to under, like fully understand i mean there's still things like occasionally that like i'll i'll flash back to being down there and like i could feel the medicine in my body like pulling me in a direction or steering me and i go with it now like i don't i don't fight that anymore it's just yeah I let it that's amazing i i love that uh you're like <clears throat> excuse me not resisting it anymore it seems like it comes up for you and you're like, all right, all right. <laughs> I'm listening. Yeah, I mean, I've never, like, I, I guess I had an ego, right? I wasn't like this big macho asshole. I was a fun loving guy. I like to drink and have a good time at a party. Like 
I think, uh, yeah, it just, I don't even know how to put it into words. Uh, Ineffable. Yeah. Yeah. It, it showed me so many things and the root cause of those things. And it, it's not that it like made me want to change. It just, it changed me. It Mm -hmm. was like this wire now goes here. Like there's no light switcher anymore. Like this is how you're wired now. It's, and it was better. Mm. Many times when uh, individuals talk about ayahuasca or psychedelics in general, they talk about the spiritual, the, the, the really out there. And the really cool stuff that we're finding out is there's lots of really cool neuroanatomy going on. And it's literally doing what you just said. It's like, nope, we're going to unplug. We're going to put it right there. Damn, fixed. And like you just said it perfectly. It's, it's really cool that, unfortunately, you know, for many a decades, the war on drugs have ruined that. But it's really cool that there's research coming out that literally showing that. Um, Man. Yeah, for, uh, for, for not only PTSD, but TBI. Oh, right? yeah. That is huge. Like, I had completely forgotten. Like, when I was five years old, I almost died. I flipped mm. over the handlebars on my bicycle and cracked my skull open from ear to ear. And I was in intensive mm. care for five days. Whoa. I relived that exact moment on night one like a portion of night one, I relived that entire thing where I flipped. I, I remember the 10 speed I was on. It was like this shit yellow brown color. And I was a little kid and I'd never ridden a 10 speed. I didn't know how to, mm-hmm. like all I knew how to stop was to pedal backwards. Mm-hmm. And instead of grabbing, I hit a curb and flipped over and I landed on a sidewalk and cracked my head. Yeah. And I relived that entire moment. Like I remember my cousin babysitting me. I remember getting to the hospital and like all the sticky pads going on. And then all of a sudden I was back in the Maluka and it mm. felt like my head was in a paint shaker, like the loudest freight train noise in the world, like frequency wise, rattling around in my head for probably 30 seconds. Then all of a sudden it went completely quiet. And I don't know if that was like my body. Yeah. Doing that exact thing. Like, oh, that <laughs> wire got put here. Like, let's, let's get it back to where it all goes. Uh, that's, that's what I can relate it to, but, Mm, mm. and then zero pain. Wow. Again, we, we, we like to discount it and say, Oh, drugs, they're bad. Um, two things come to mind. Well, our whole body is made up of drugs. If drugs were bad, then we would be drugs. Like this is how we function neurotransmitters and like, they've been using this medicine for centuries eons and all of a sudden somebody comes along and says that's bad Mm, i don't think so um man that story so cool yeah i love that um you're also bringing up a lot of uh there are some deep spiritual components to the 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 medicine where it comes from the culture it comes from um and for for those people who are who are put off by that kind of stuff in the beginning, what you just described is oh I just saw my childhood, and I went through that whole experience, and at the end of it, 
all the noise was go like it went away. All the pain went away. Um, so to you know to connect with some some of the people who may be um, reluctant because of the culture around ayahuasca, that you don't necessarily have to buy into any of that stuff to to take a lot out of the experience of the medicine. Um, again, I'm not practiced in it, nor have I done the, the experience. So that's I'm speaking from what I've I've seen and heard from others. Um, what was your experience after having done uh, that? You know, the whole three days. Um, you know, the experience at the end, like what, what it felt like, what was the revelations, the new experiences that kind of connected for you, that, that, that wire, you know, fixing that you said? Um, if I can, in order to make after make sense, I'd like to finish, uh, you know, I, I want to explain what happened more in night one and night two. To oh, me. yeah, please, please, please. I'm, I'm skipping. Uh, so early on in night one, like that was one of my my first memories was was going back to that and, and i hadn't thought about that i hadn't thought about that in 30 years um it was not even anything i i don't know it, it just brought it back and it kind of i think it showed me that in that moment right there that like you know that's maybe where your first wire got crossed mm. and then it, it rapidly accelerated me to the night I met my wife. I was a young 23-year-old Marine, uh, the nine fine Irishman at the New York, New York. She was standing up on the landing, going up to the second floor with one of her friends. Uh, I still remember the master sergeant flight engineer that was talking shit to me, trying to get me to go up. And I finally went up and I talked to her. I was wearing a pink seven diamonds button-up shirt, like a douchey young Marine. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and we hit it off and then we flashed to our wedding day under this giant oak tree uh, at our home in, uh, just outside of Fort Worth. It was crystal clear, my best man, like we're in our blues. Uh, our dog was running around, like all our friends and family were surrounding us. Um, had this 85 year old former Marine justice of the peace marrying us. And it was, it was very happy, peaceful moment to be in. And then it all kind of went like, like a background on a team's meeting or a zoom where you can tell there's something back there, but you can't really make out what it is. Like everything went like that. Mm. And the only thing that became clear was that I had a drink in my head. Mm. And from there it went to from the wedding to my daughter being an infant and she's in the background and she's in, in every scene I'm viewing. But the only thing that is crystal clear is that I have a drink in my hand. It's whiskey, it's beer, it's something in my hand in, in every conceivable memory that my daughter had of me from birth till six months ago involved me having alcohol. That's just how it was. Mm. And like that hit me like a ton of bricks right there. And, and I had a conversation with myself. It was like, oh, it's, it's that easy. All I need to do is stop drinking. Like that's the root cause of, of everything. Like all my intentions could easily, you know, I, can, I can get to my intentions by easily just stopping drinking. Mm. And then my ego still was attached. And 
I kind of got into this, this back and forth with myself in this moment where when I got to Costa Rica, the hotel had given me a bottle of wine and I brought it with and I handed it in as contraband. And I was like, what am I going to do with this wine? Like, can I, can I take it home and can I drink it and then not drink anymore? Like, what am I going to do? How am I going to get this back? Like, what am I going to do? And it was such a stupid, like, fight that I had with myself. Mm. I didn't realize it until even the next day. Like, like, yeah, maybe I can do that. Like, that'll be the end of it. And I just won't drink after that. Mm. And <sighs> medicine was not having that the next day. <laughs> so, <laughs> Go on, elaborate. Uh, Go on. So... The, the next day, um, there's actually this very special, intimate moment that you have with the shamans and the staff where you go and you can sit with them and you can kind of explain if you want what your intention is and, and just how you feel and what's going on. And like, it is like the ultimate breakdown therapy session. It was for me anyway, where I described you know, a lot of what I just told you, like what, what I experienced the night before. And the, the shaman we had was a husband and a wife. And um, we had a translator that was explaining what I was saying. And then at the end of it, uh, he said, uh, I'm going to help you with your alcoholism tonight. I'm going to help you get rid of it. And I was like, okay, cool. Thanks. <laughs> you know, like, 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 how, you know, like, mm. Again, I was thinking about that bottle of wine. And I'm like, man, it told me I could, I just had to stop. It's that easy. Uh, but that night was, I, I, well, I'll never ex forget the entire experience, but like that night was one of the fucking wildest nights of my life. Mm. Um, before, before you take the medicine, like about an hour before you go in and you do yoga and it's very peaceful, very calm, um, and just like settling in. But in that moment, like the, think the biggest Texas thunderhead rolling in, like thunderstorm, thunder, lightning, mm. torrential downpour. That rolled in basically right when we started yoga and knocked all the lights out. And then it was a light show for an hour, like wow. lightning. Penny, like a hundred feet away and just rocking. But like we stayed in the calm and just continued our yoga. And then basically when we, the first person started the medicine, the storm just kind of dissipated and went off into the distance. You could still see flashes of light, but like the, the big thunderheads that were clapping right next to us were gone. And, uh, it was it was a storm before the calm for me. Mm -hmm. uh, at, at, well, after that that evening. Mm. <laughs> so, uh, after uh, after I took the medicine, I went about halfway through. I think the second night. Let's see. Yeah, I was about halfway through. And um, uh, 
our shaman came to me. I think I was the, the second person he visited. And um, it's, it's very dark in there, but like it's all screened. So you can kind of see out a little bit of light. You can see shadows. Mm-hmm. But he, he comes over and he'll sit with you and he'll give you an ikaro, which like he'll chant to you. And um, like the, the only way I can perceive it is like he, he is traveling into another dimension when he's doing this. Mm. Um, I sat up and I, I opened my eyes and I looked at him. I could see like the soft shadow of a man. And I closed my eyes, I was sitting in the cell, and I closed my eyes, and I could still see him. But he turned into this fucking Peruvian Zeus. He turned into this gigantic, fucking huge dude with this big ass spear. And I was like, what the fuck's going on? And all of a sudden, I felt this in my core, like worse than I'd ever felt the need to throw up anything. Mm. And, and I had to purge. I, like I had grabbed my bucket and I puked up like this 12 inch black leech, like this black gelatinous goo. Mm. And it, it was my alcoholism leaving my body. And at that moment I, I, I collapsed, I fell forward and like I, I laid on the floor, like, a, like I had just been no kidding, just heart punched as hard as somebody could ever do. Mm. And I was sitting there thanking him. And he's like, we're not done. And he commenced, like, I watched him in this other dimension, like, enter my body and fucking Spartan kick every fucking door off the hinges and spear any remnants of, like, my desire to drink out of my body. He spent, like, an hour at like the top of his lungs chanting and and fighting for me and just fucking tore me apart and at the end of it he gave me a blessing he blew on me and he told me i would never drink again and he softly moved on and i laid on the floor pretty much the rest of the evening just beaten up and then his wife, she operated 180. So like a couple hours later, she got to me. And the same thing, I saw her in this other dimension. Like she swept it all up, packed the door frames back up, and then she put these big ass vault doors, locked them, and gave me the code. Said, you, you're the only one that has a code now. Don't ever let them back in. And that pretty much after that, I lost consciousness. I woke up the next morning. I was the only one in the look as the sun was coming up. Wow. Like it was <clears throat> an incredibly violent uh, experience for me. But <sighs> since that moment, like I have not desired, I have not thought about having, I have not, like alcohol is, has never been less of a consideration for me. How long ago was that? So how long has it been? Uh, a little over, like six months and a couple of days. Wow. Uh, John, thank you for sharing. Yeah, man. Shit. <laughs> what a journey. Uh, I, I, I want to, I that, 
first of all, again, thank you for sharing. That was amazing. Um, and for some of the listeners out there might be like, what the fuck? This guy is obviously still high. (laughs) (laughs) Um, so I'm a doctor. I'm a chiropractor. I, I, I believe in evidence. I read research articles all the time. And there's a phrase, and I believe in this stuff very much because I've witnessed it, I've experienced it, I've seen it. Absence of evidence isn't evidence of absence. Just because we can't prove it doesn't mean it's not there. It just means we don't have any ways to measure it. Um, I, I don't know what to say. That was fucking awesome. That's all I'm going to say. Thank you for sharing. Yeah. Um, yeah and, and I'll, I'll say this. Like I, I have shared this story with, with a few people, but they, they are very good at the end of um, after like my third day, I had a fairly uneventful third day. I mean, I, I went on some journeys and I reflected on a lot of stuff, but, but nowhere near like went on day one and day two, but at the end, you know, you go through some, some counseling work <laughs> you know what everybody went through is very profound for them in in their own Mm -hmm. life and it is incredibly vivid and it is like on the tip of your tongue and you want to shout out how wonderful or you know what the experience was to make you better but you have to be very careful with who you share that journey with because like the story I just told for, for many people who are listening, like I do sound like a quack. Mm. It was my experience. That was what I saw. That was how I went through it. That's very different than the rest of the group. And I don't know what to say to those people other than it, it's real for me. And it had nothing but good. Nothing but good came from it. For me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I, I can't, I can't, <laughs> I can't do anything about it. Like that was what, what led me to who I am and how I am today. So if people think yeah. I'm crazy, like I could give two shits. But <laughs> yeah, fuck them. Yeah. You're not uh, drinking anymore. Yeah. That's all that matters. I'm doing, you know, I'm, I'm doing much better. So. Um, God damn. That's awesome. Yeah. The results are there and yeah, your connection seems like you've been able to uh you know it takes people decades to really get to Mm -hmm. um in in a in a yeah in a literally a couple nights um and yeah one of the reasons we want to talk to other veterans with your experiences to bring in what their stories were what their perspectives were what changed for them um because of what you just said that everyone's going to have a slightly different experience and there's a common thread, a common theme of what you just, you know, chatted with at the end that, that these profound realizations, this connection to things you can't truly explain. I'm sure even you telling us this is like, ah, I'm approximating what it was actually like. Um, and uh, it, it's important for other veterans to, to hear this. So we really, really appreciate you sharing that experience. Um, you know, whether or not our, our listeners out there decide to do it. Um, or if it's for them, you know, your story is an important, is an important one. is a critical one. I think, um, what was your experience after the ceremonies and after being in, 
you know, sort of that immediate afterwards, and then that that the effects when you went back into your life, home, work, family, etc. Yeah, immediately after. I mean, like you're you you become a family with the people you're down there with. Like I'll have mm-hmm. life friendships, you know, with with everybody. Like I've since then I've gone and visited several of them in their their hometowns. I've gone, you know other places with a couple other guys to, to go visit other people. Um, so like we still stay in touch, like, like, like an infinite amount of hugs were given, you know, just in dealing and releasing tension and trauma, you know, like giant bearded, you know, alpha males, six pack abs. <laughs> yeah. They, like embracing each other. Mm. And, and letting go of trauma and ego and, and all that and just just being who they were and it was beautiful mm. mm-hmm. oh. bunch of big guys all hard open hugging and loving each other oh yeah like mm. laughing god we laughed our asses off <laughs> uh, it was oh would you would you see let's think two a year ago um heart opening hugging bunch of bearded guys would you have seen yourself doing that today if you wouldn't have gone through this process probably not no okay (laughs) didn't think so most most people don't but now that you've been there you're like why the fuck not like (sighs) yeah it's it's so clear right now like how, how easy it is to get there for me. Mm-hmm. I can see though other people that it's not like, it, mm-hmm. but for me, it is, it is so easy to see like what other people's emotions are doing and I can assess whether or not it's my place to get involved and help them or just give them their space. Right. Uh, but it's, but it, and, and the moments after and even up till now, like I, I personally am just a, a happier, happier person. Yeah. Many times um, when people use medicine like this, uh, there's a thought process of the medicine will show you what needs to be done. You still have to do some of the work. Okay. For those who aren't seeing this video, he's not in improvement or an, an acknowledgement. Um, if you don't mind sharing, John, what kind of work have you had to put in, in the last six months? So again, I, I don't want to undersell. Like, you know, like I, I don't drink anymore. Like that mm-hmm. is one of my biggest. That was one of my biggest hurdles I had to overcome. Like it sounds is. like you still worked for that. Yeah, but it is. <clears throat> It's it's by no means easy, but it is it is not even a thought for me anymore. Mm. I can be around it. I can I can go pick it up for people. I can grab a drink at a bar and hand it to somebody. I can mm. part of a poker group where everybody drinks beers and talks shit. And I I grab my water and I go down there and I'm happier than hell. Mm. But the hardest part for me since I've been home is. I came back different, mm. but my family is not. Mm. Yep. Like 
I, I did terrible things to my family by, you know, being unfaithful and just drinking and drinking and making not a, a happy, comfortable place for them to be in. Mm-hmm. So I came back and I am this, this giant hug machine. And, you know, <laughs> their, their initial is, this is wonderful, but, but when's he going to fuck it up? Mm-hmm. You know, he's told me that he's going to cut back on drinking before and he's going to stop it. How long until he fucks it up? And I think my wife is, she sees that like that's never going to happen. But I think my daughter is still struggling with it and we're mm-hmm. still continuing to repair our relationship. So like that, that is a, a daily, it's not a challenge, but that's a daily thing that what I have to work on to try to be mm-hmm. better at. I'm better. It doesn't mean she's better. Mm-hmm. So. Amending uh, those relationships is part of your integration. Yeah, and there, there are moments where I see my former self in her. Mm. Um, yeah, as, as a Marine, like one of our, our favorite phrases is like, you've lost your goddamn mind. You lost, yeah. And, and, and I've, I've heard her say, you know, that to the dogs. Mm. And I'm like, oh my God, like, <laughs> what have I done? You know, I was like, mm. now how do how do I make this better? Like, how do I how do I you know help pass the message that like you know, let's let's look at this a different way and let's remove or try to help her understand why we don't want her to be that way. Mm-hmm. So like that that is my challenge now. Um, seeing mm. who I was in her. And, mm-hmm. and helping her not become what I was. Mm. The really, mm. she learned that from someone, obviously you, which means she can unlearn it. And she's learned it from you, so she's still learning from you. Mm-hmm. If you yeah. see where I'm going with that, yeah, it's going to take a while. Her, her, I'm not advising that she go do an ayahuasca, but her wires <laughs> need to be disconnected and reconnected. It might take yeah. a while. You just keep doing you. At, at the end of the day, I, I'm I'm dealing with a a 14 year old teenage daughter, <laughs> and like now, like my where where I used to be this very authoritative, you know, marine dad, and now like it's it's I'm trying to be love and compassion and kindness like i still have to be strict and i still have to be a dad from time to time but no mm-hmm. near how i was so like i think there's you know she's a, adapting to that as i am mm-hmm. and um, it's not perfect um and i'll keep trying though and, and she's trying so like that's that's all i can do and that's mm-hmm. all she can do. and i'll keep working on it forever what else you got to do that's beautiful, man. Yeah, all, all I have now is a bunch of first world problems. <laughs> That's beautiful, uh, man. Thank you for sharing that a lot. Yeah. I appreciate that. This, this whole conversation, I, I don't know how you kept yourself together. There, there are times where I was like, oh, with choking back tears. I don't know how you, you got through it. So hats off to you. Yeah. Um, 
I'm going to wrap it up, man. Would you like to say any last words, any words of encouragement? I don't know anything, John. Anything to other vets out there as well? Yeah. Um, it's hard to say, like, just do it, right? Mm-hmm. Like, again, it, it has to be the right moment and you have mm-hmm. to want to change. It can't just be like, oh, I'm going to go give this award. Like you have to, you have to go into it with intention and, and, and please, whoever is able to go do it, you know, if it lines up and you're able to do it and, and follow the process and, and stick with the program and do the dieta on the front end and on the back end and give yourself time. I guess the, the, the one main takeaway is give yourself time for integration after the fact. You are going to go through something very special and it takes quite a bit of time to process it. And the worst thing you could do is come back after one, one day and go right back to work and put yourself right into the rat race again. Mm-hmm. I was super fortunate. I was able to take a couple of weeks off work and just come home and like play with my dogs and spend time with my family and just love them and have them love me back. Um, and I, I feel like that was really, really beneficial for me. Um, and I know some people who came back and went right back to it and, you know, they, their experience was very powerful while they were there, but it, it may not have been as long lasting or, you know, it may not have fully sunk in because they weren't able to actually go through and, and process that was there. Mm. Yeah. Amazing, man. Thank you for that solid, helpful advice. Um, Anything else on your mind? Anything else you'd like to say to the, <laughs> anybody interested? No, uh, I'm, I'm happy to help whoever wants to know more, know my story. If you guys want to share uh, my contact information, my email, um, I, I will pick my phone up at any hour to, to help somebody who needs it and if they want to talk through it. And uh, if they want help, getting in touch with heroic hearts and going through the application process. Um, I could, I could steer them in the right direction. Um, so please, please use me as a resource. Uh, love to help anybody who, who wants it. Cool. Awesome. Thank John. you. Thank you. Uh, John, like I said, you were the first victim of our ayahuasca series and you <laughs> set a really high bar, my friend. Yeah. Um, <laughs> everybody has a lot to a lot of big shoes to fill after talking with you. So really appreciate it. Um, yeah. Thank you for coming on. really appreciate it. And, uh, for everybody listening, thank you. Uh, if you have questions, reach out. Um, and John, I'm not going to put your email or phone number on the podcast, but if anybody who ever wants to reach out to them, contact us and we'll put them in contact with you. Um, yeah. Thanks again, everybody. We'll, uh, we'll talk to you guys later. Thank you guys. I appreciate the time.